Please do keep your Bible open uh, to Proverbs chapter 1. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 494, if you've uh, not already managed to find your way there. Let me just get my weather. So this morning, we're starting a new series in the book of Proverbs for the next few months uh, called Get Wisdom, um, Eternal Wisdom for Everyday Life. And the title of the sermon this morning is, Are You Wise? Okay, are you wise? And uh, considering what it looks like to get wisdom from the Lord and why we need it. So if God said to you, tomorrow, ask me for one thing, ask me for one thing, what would you ask of him? Ask me for one thing and I will give it to you. Okay, so just think for a minute. God asks you that question. Ask me for one thing and I will give it to you. What would you ask him for? Maybe a new job, maybe a pay increase, car, house, maybe a holiday, maybe a relationship. God once asked someone that very question, ask me for one thing and I will give it to you. He asked that of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. King Solomon asked for wisdom. And it's that wisdom that we find contained here in the book of Proverbs. More than anything else that this world would afford you and me, you and I desperately need wisdom from God. More than anything else that this world would offer us or give us, we find we need wisdom from God. Not our own wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, not the kind of fortune cookie wisdom you find, wisdom from horoscopes or some kind of fortune teller, not even your granny's wisdom. Okay, your granny may be very wise, particularly if she's godly. It's not that you shouldn't listen to her. But more than your granny's wisdom, you need God's wisdom. God's wisdom for how to live wisely, not only in this world, in this life now, but to, to live wisely for the life to come, to live wisely in light of eternity. So if you're a Christian here this morning, as Christians, we're called to live and to speak for God in his world. We need wisdom to do that, don't we? God has given us his word, but we need wisdom to, to take this book and to apply it into all of the varied and often difficult or complex circumstances of life. As a church, we're called to encourage one another in all wisdom. We're to be a display of God's wisdom to the world. Therefore, we need wisdom in order to do that well. And for all of us, we need to recognize that God's wisdom is eternally good. That living according to God's wisdom isn't just a good option. It's a matter, as we'll see in Proverbs, it's a matter of life and death. Living by this wisdom is a matter of life and death, and it's an eternally foolish thing to reject it. So what we're going to see this morning uh, in these seven verses, and really this is the, the kind of theme of the whole book of Proverbs, is this, fear God. This is the response that's called from us this morning. Fear God to gain eternal wisdom for every day and eternal life. Fear God to gain eternal wisdom for every day and eternal life. So first thing we see this morning then is eternal wisdom. Where do I get it? We get it from God's king. Verse 1, if you look down with me, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 
Okay, so Solomon asked for this wisdom to govern God's people. God gave him wisdom, and God has caused this wisdom to be written down here in Scripture for our instruction and our encouragement. Two things up top as we get stuck into this book of Proverbs. Okay, what exactly is wisdom? What's a kind of working definition of wisdom as we consider it throughout the next number of weeks? Well, I've given it a bit of a shot. Here's my definition of wisdom. I'll be up on the screen for you. Wisdom is knowing how to live out God's Word well in everyday life, leading to eternal life. We work through Proverbs, you'll see that it's not just about kind of everyday wisdom. It's about living with the end in view. Knowing how to live out God's Word well, not just averagely, how to live out wisely and well in everyday life, leading to eternal life. It's taking God's Word, taking Scripture, taking the book of Proverbs, and knowing how to apply it to those unique and varied circumstances. Two quick examples in the Christian life, evangelism and discipleship. Colossians 4 tells us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. So we're called to walk in wisdom, but as you get into the circumstances of life and the conversations and interactions, what do you do here? What do you say there? Proverbs and God's Word gives us more wisdom for that. Discipleship, Colossians 3 to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. How do I listen to someone well? How do I speak to them well? How do I answer that question? What do I do in this scenario? Acquires wisdom. We need wisdom to know how to live out God's Word well in these circumstances, and we can apply that to all areas of life, which Proverbs does. It fleshes out what doing these things wisely will involved. So, that's the first thing. What exactly is wisdom? It's knowing how to live this book out well in everyday life. How do we read Proverbs? We need to ask, what kind of book are we reading here? Well, Proverbs is considered part of the wisdom literature, which contains Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, uh, and they're given to us mostly in the form of poetry. Okay, so you can't read this like a, a newspaper or a novel. This is in the form of poetry. Uh, J.A. Packer kind of helpfully summarizes how these different wisdom books contribute to our lives. He says this, the Psalms teach us how to worship, Proverbs teaches us how to behave, Job how to suffer, Song of Solomon how to love, and Ecclesiastes how to live. It's helpful, a kind of summary of how those wisdom books all complement and come together to teach us how to live wisely in this world. So Proverbs really is teaching us how we are to behave. We need to note, though, that they are not guaranteed promises. They are general principles. That's particularly true when it comes to reading chapters 10 to 30. If you work through the book of Proverbs or you know it well, you'll know chapters 1 to 9 in many ways kind of flows together. But then you get to chapter 10, and it's all these kind of individual kind of little pithy statements. We need to be particularly aware of that when it comes to those chapters, but also chapters 1 to 9. Proverbs describe what we can usually expect to happen. Bruce Walkie in his commentary in Proverbs says this, the sober person, not the drunkard, the cool-tempered person, not the hothead, the diligent person, not the sluggard, usually experience health and prosperity. Not always. When we read these things in the context of the whole book of Proverbs, and then again in the whole context of God's Word, we must, all to, we must also take into consideration things like delayed consequences and judgment. Sometimes it seems like the wicked prosper. 
We must take into account injustice. The hard work of a righteous person can sometimes be undone through injustice. We need to take into account the the reality and the God-ordained role of suffering and discipline in the Christian life. We need to take into account the reality that physical health is only promised in the life to come. So maybe a couple of things there to help us navigate the book of Proverbs. Back to the question where we get it from. We get it from God's king. 1 Kings 3, we see that encounter with Solomon and God. Solomon says to God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. Okay, notice that. See the humility there? I'm a king, but I'm a child. I don't know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen. A great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? If only all leaders would ask for that same thing, to discern between good and evil, to understand in order to govern. So, 1 Kings 3, it pleased the Lord to give Solomon that wisdom. God says to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, okay, all the things that we maybe want to ask for, remember that question at the beginning? Because you didn't ask for those things but asked for wisdom, I now do according to your word. And then later on in chapter 4, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and the breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So Solomon, King Solomon, recognized that he needed wisdom to to govern well. He needed God's wisdom. And then God gave him that wisdom. On the 6th of May, uh, when King Charles will be coronated, uh, he's going to be presented with a Bible, uh, the same way that Queen Elizabeth was back in 1953. And at her coronation, and I presume the same thing will be read out, I don't know. The general moderator of the Church of Scotland, ironically, said to her this, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. So whatever your view of monarchy or your understanding of the relationship between church and state this symbolic act recognized that God's wisdom is required to govern. God's wisdom is required to govern. Any wise queen or king, any wise ruler or leader, any wise person will recognize that they need God's wisdom to govern well and to live a godly life. This wisdom comes from God, through God's king, it's for God's people. Verse 1, son of David, king of Israel. This wisdom is meant to help Solomon govern God's people according to God's law and to help his people live a godly life. And it's to be passed on. This wisdom isn't just to be kept with him. It's to be passed on to future kings and to the nation. But if you know your Bible, you know what happens. Most Israelite kings didn't live by this wisdom. Even Solomon was flawed, like his father before him. Most Israelites didn't live godly lives. So this flawed king, this faulty kingdom, 
ultimately leaves us looking for and longing for a truly wise king and a truly wisely ruled kingdom. And that's what we see as we move into the New Testament. We see the arrival of another son of David, great David's greater son, King Jesus, and the establishment of his kingdom, which if you're a Christian, you are a citizen of. Matthew 12 tells us that, that something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus, as we move into the New Testament, is the the perfect embodiment of the wisdom of this book. He's the perfect source, the eternal source of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that he is the wisdom of God. And then Isaiah 11, which will be up on the screen for you, prophesies this about him. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The good news is we have a king who is perfectly and eternally wise. We get to be part of a kingdom that is ruled and governed with perfect wisdom. Isn't that good news? So where do we go to for wisdom? More who do we go to for wisdom? We go to God's King Jesus. His rule and His reign and His person are our ultimate source of wisdom. Jesus doesn't abolish this book. He doesn't replace it. In the language of Matthew 5, 17, He fulfills it. He's the perfect embodiment of this wisdom, and He expands upon it. So, as we seek to apply this book to our lives, we do that through the lens of the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. And when we do that, we we realize that Jesus is the ultimate wise son. He's the one who perfectly fears the Lord. He is our true friend. He is the perfect diligent worker. He is a perfect king. He is the truly wise and righteous person of Proverbs who died for the wicked fools like you and me. People like you and me who who are foolish by nature, who are sinful by nature. He came as the perfectly wise and righteous one in order to die and to save wicked fools like you and me so that we might not be counted amongst the wicked and the foolish, but amongst the wise and the righteous. As we read Proverbs, we must not firstly read it as, what must I do? And not even as, what would Jesus do? But look at what Jesus has done. Look how he's lived this out for us perfectly. Look how he's embodied all of this. And then in light of him, in light of grace, we can live these things out. We can obey these things. We are now his people. We are part of his kingdom. And so we must live out the wisdom of our king, which we find contained here in this book. And these things are not impossible for us. We have the same spirit of wisdom from Isaiah 11, the Spirit of Christ now dwelling within us. These things are not impossible for us. By God's grace, we can live these things out, even though at times that may be imperfect. So we get God's wisdom from God's King. We need a King's wisdom. Notice that. We need a King's wisdom. We need wisdom from not just any King, we need wisdom from God's King. And because it's a king's wisdom, it comes with inherent authority. It must be listened to, heeded, and obeyed. It's not optional. 
We must listen to it, and we get to build our lives on it. So we just sang about, we get to build our lives on the wisdom of this king. Okay, Proverbs is not just good advice. Living by our king's wisdom is not just a a good idea. It's a matter of life and death. Matthew 7 points that to us, and we just sang about it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat down that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone else who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We ignore God's wisdom at our peril. So if we want to be wise, if we want to be happy, if we want to be flourishing, if we want to be effective disciples of Jesus, we must seek our King's wisdom in everyday life. If we want to be a healthy, faithful, growing, effective local church, we must seek our King's wisdom, not our own. If we want to be a good, wise leader, a parent, a worker, a wife, a son, a daughter, all the things that Proverbs speaks to, we must live by our King's wisdom and not by our own. If not, we will not live well in this world that God has created, and we will not be prepared for the world that is to come. So eternal wisdom, where do I get it from God's king? Secondly, why should I get it? For wise living. If you look down at uh, verses 2 to 6 in your Bible there. What does this book have to offer us? To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Do you need guidance right now? To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, so, so how do we get this wisdom? Well, verses 2 and 6 really kind of tell us. They bracket this section. We get it through instruction. And instruction here carries, the, the word there carries a sense of training and discipline. Okay, you don't get this overnight. Okay, you don't read Proverbs once and it kind of just sinks in and then you'll forever be wise. Okay, it comes through training and discipline and instruction. It comes through understanding and learning. Learning, understanding, and being instructed in what will verses 2 and 6 tell us? Words of insight, Proverbs, a saying, words of the wise and the riddles. We find those things here. So where do we go for, for wisdom? We, we go to God's king who's revealed these things in Scripture. We find wisdom in Scripture. We also find wisdom through other godly people whose hearts are shaped by Scripture and who have lived it out. We get wisdom from God's Word, from other godly people, and of course, we can go and ask for wisdom. James 1 reminds us that if we feel we lack wisdom, which most likely we will all of the time, we can go and ask for it, and He'll give it to us. When's the last time you asked for wisdom? You need it. I need it. So it involves receiving instruction, understanding with our minds. It involves knowing some things. It involves knowledge. Okay, we've got to know some things. But it's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. True wisdom involves taking that knowledge and putting legs on it. It involves living it out. So what should wisdom look like? Not just what does it sound like, 
not just what this book says and what does it sound like, what does it look like in our lives? Well, we could think about wisdom, which is kind of quite a broad category, and maybe break it down into three or four different things. There's practical wisdom. Verse 3 tells us wisdom in wise dealing, okay, doing things skillfully, doing things practically well. We've practical wisdom. We've also got moral or ethical wisdom in verse 3 as well. Wisdom in righteousness and justice and equity. This is talking about character here. Wisdom isn't just making good decisions. It's being a person of godly character. And you see in the book of Proverbs that a wise person is the same as a righteous person. And a a fool is considered wicked. The two things go together. Character goes with how we live. Bruce Waltke, again in his commentary, with respect to money in particular, which Proverbs has a lot to say about, he says this, the key is character, not method. Often we can approach this book as, what do I do with my finances? What should I do in this scenario? And that's, that's a good way to approach it, but it majors more on character than on method. He says Proverbs is a how-to-be book, not a how-to-get book. It's primarily about how-to-be, not how-to-get. We saw this in Genesis, didn't we? This idea that that, that to live righteously, to live justly, to live equitably, fairly is at the heart of what it means to walk as a believer. God said to Abraham in Genesis 18, if you can remember, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. How does he do that? By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Really, in in many ways, this is at the heart of what it means to be a wise person. To be a wise person is to be a righteous person, a just person, an equitable person, a godly person. Practical wisdom, moral, ethical wisdom, and then I've bracketed the next aspect of wisdom under discernment. The words you see in these verses, prudence, which is a word we don't use too often, but it's a good word, right? Prudence, discretion, guidance, Prudence really is good judgment. You're faced with a situation, you need to make a decision, you exercise good judgment. So prudence is good judgment, discretion is you make a good decision, and guidance is you go in a good direction. Good judgment, good decisions, good direction. It's all really to do with discernment. How often do we need that? I'm faced with a scenario, I'm faced with a situation. What way should I go? What decision should I make? What should I do? God offers us discernment. And then finally, uh, sorry, j- uh, just before that, um, when, when it comes to the sermon, um, I, it reminds me of a, of a prayer um, that I often pray um, as part of the little um, app I use for prayer. It's a prayer for ministers. It's a prayer by the English Bishop J.C. Ryle. Uh, and he says this, and really I thought of this when I was thinking of the sermon. What is the sermon? He, he says, pray that we, that is ministers of the gospel, pastors of the gospel, may have wisdom to take the right step, to do the right thing in the right way and to do nothing to cause the gospel to be blamed. That's what I think about when I think about discernment and good judgment and good decisions. Pray that I, pray that we, it's a prayer for all of us, I take the right step to do the right thing in the right way. Then finally, relational wisdom. All of these things, practical, moral, discernment, they they don't happen in a vacuum, do they? They happen in relation to one another within the life of the church between a parent and their child, in the workplace, within friendship, 
all wisdom happens in the context of relationships, and, and relationships are such a significant part of our lives. So we need relational wisdom, and Proverbs has tons of that. Parenting, marriage, friendship, work, all of those things. How much do we need this? How much do you need this in your daily life? Wisdom to how, how to navigate these things. So often, don't we, we try to navigate life without this kind of wisdom. And it's here, waiting for us. It's available. We don't need to grasp around in the dark to know how to live for God in this world. He has not left things that way. He's revealed himself. He's given us his revealed will in Scripture. We have his word, therefore we have his wisdom. And we all need it. Do you notice who this is for in these verses? Verse 4, prudence to the simple, to the youth. In many ways, the book of Proverbs is targeted at the young. Solomon's gathered it or written it to pass on to the younger generation, those who have lots to learn. So let me just say to you, if you are young here this morning, pay particular attention to what Proverbs will teach you. You need God's wisdom to live well in this world. You have much to learn about how to live for Him. But it's all here. If you're an older person or a parent, use this book to disciple and instruct those around us who are younger. Walk them through this book. Teach it to them. When I was um, around kind of leaving university and uh, in that kind of maybe stage of life where you've maybe got a few more decisions to make than, than usual. The book of Proverbs was deeply helpful for me because I was a fool. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs told me, don't just do what you want to do. Listen to other people. Listen to wise, godly people about what to do. And then Proverbs 16 has a couple of verses which were hugely comforting and freeing for me in that time. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Meaning, we, we need to make decisions, but we must submit them to the Lord, and we can live in the freedom and the comfort that the Lord is providential over all that happens in our lives. So, if we make decisions according to his revealed will, get on with it and trust the Lord with whatever happens next. The Lord establishes your steps. Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That was so helpful for me. Ultimately, all of my decisions come under the, the good, gracious providence of the Lord. So as long as I'm obeying His revealed moral will, every decision ultimately comes from Him. Not crippled by indecision. Not crippled by what if or if only. But, okay, if you're older, you consider yourself older, you're not escaping from this either. Wisdom is not primarily an age thing. Wisdom comes from God and His Word. Newsflash, you can be old and be a fool. You can be young and you can be wise. And if you're wise, verse 5 tells us, if you are wise, if you are someone who we should look up to as, a, as, as an example of wise, godly living, you still need to keep learning. Proverbs 5 doesn't let you, 1 verse 5 doesn't let you off the hook. Wisdom is necessary all the days of your life. You do, you've never, we've never arrived. 
We don't get to a certain age and I've learned all I need to learn. It doesn't, it's not the case. We must seek all of God's wisdom all of our lives to the day that we die. So let me ask you, are you in a situation right now, maybe a financial one, a relational one, where you need to make a decision, maybe it's something to do with work or parenting, whatever it might be, are you in a situation where you need help and you need wisdom? You say, yes, that's me, and I'm sure there's not many of us here who are exempt from that. The next question is, where do I start? Or maybe you're thinking, particularly if you don't choose to claim to follow Jesus or claim to believe in God, and this is a load of rubbish. I don't need the Bible to be wise. I don't need God to, to live a good life. I'm getting on just fine on my own. Well, verse 7 speaks to both of those things. That's what we see next. Eternal wisdom. Where do I get it from God's king? Why should I get it for wise living? Where must I begin? Fear of the Lord. Verse 7, if you look down, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you want to become wise, which I hope you do, we must begin, and not just begin, but continue on this way with fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is recognizing that we are creatures and He is creator. Recognizes that He is eternally wise and we are not. Recognizes that we live in His world so He knows best. Recognizing that He is Lord and so we must submit to Him. And notice it's fear of the Lord. The word there is Yahweh. It's the covenant name. It's the personal name of God. That tells us that true wisdom can only be found in relationship with Him. True wisdom, real wisdom, eternal wisdom can only be found in relationship with the Lord and with a heart that is reverent before Him. Reminds us as well that the invitation to wisdom is an invitation into covenant relationship with the Lord. Wisdom is to be lived out in the context of covenant relationship with the Lord and in community with one another. It's an invitation to covenant relationship with the Lord. Our wise uh, obedience is to be lived out in a father-son, father-daughter context. That's what we see throughout the, the book of Proverbs. Uh, a guy named C. Bridges defines fear of the Lord this way. Fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. It's a helpful picture, isn't it? It's an affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. A helpful way um, to think of fear of the Lord is humility of heart. Humility of heart. A couple of places in Proverbs connect fear of the Lord with humility. Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Um, we are in the process or have been seeking to start a scripture union group in Belmont School just across the road, and the room that we were using for the group, um, as I was waiting for um, some of the pupils to come, the, the whiteboard uh, in the room um, had uh, on the top of it, I assume written by the teacher, 
Um, what is something along the lines of, I couldn't fully remember, but something along the lines of, what is the key to being a good learner? Then there was a couple of different answers and under a thing, and one of them was money, and I, d I didn't really get that, but anyway. Uh, so I thought while the kids were waiting, I'd just go up and add my two cents into it, and I wrote, humility. Humility. Yes, it involves diligence and study and spending time, and, but primarily it's humility, it's fear of the Lord. The key to living well in God's world is saying, I don't know. I am by nature foolish, but he is wise and he does know. And he is worthy of my obedience. I was reading a book recently on a, a sensitive, uh, difficult pastoral topic, uh, one which it would be easy to be hesitant to get involved in because of the complexity. And one reason for that hesitancy was fear of making mistakes. And the book was uh, helpful. It immediately dispelled that by saying, you will make mistakes, but you must get involved. The book went on to say this, yet there is a secret that will make your mistakes far less likely to harm anyone else, the virtue of humility. Humility is both an awareness of your own limitations and a willingness to be corrected as you go. Isn't that what wisdom does to us? Isn't that how we gain it? We recognize how much we don't know. We're willing to be corrected and disciplined and instructed as we go. So willingness to be corrected as you go, will you keep seeking the right knowledge for wise response, both from Scripture and from those you're trying to help? Humility invites the grace of God. Loved ones, as we seek to live well for God in His world together, let's do it in relationship to the Lord with hearts that revere Him and His Word. Uh, as I once heard someone say, don't follow your heart, fear the Lord. Don't follow your heart, fear the Lord. How much of our lives go wrong when we choose to follow the deceitful, often deceitful, desires of our own heart, or we choose to fear others and live by their opinions and by their laws and by their morals rather than God's? How often we do that? There's forgiveness for that, for sure. How much chaos and heartbreak and sin would be avoided if we chose to submit to the Lord and live in fear of Him rather than the opinions of others and the temptations of our flesh. But when we fear the Lord, we will be wise people and we will be joyful people. Verse 7 presents us also with that stark choice. It contains a warning. There are two paths in this world. There are the, there's the path of those who fear the Lord and obey His commandments and seek His wisdom, and there's the path of the fool. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They think it's worthless. God's wisdom is worthless. They say, hey, I can know things about this world. I can become wise without Him. There are lots of wise people who don't believe in God, right? Why do you say I need to seek the Lord to be, to be wise? Well, any wisdom in this world is all of God's common grace. That is, He reveals Himself in creation. This is His world, after all. He reveals Himself through creation, so we can observe things about Him from creation and in some sense become wise. When we observe how 
human nature works and how the world works, we're observing things of God. So there is an extent to which we can become wise without God. But God himself reveals to us that true wisdom is more than observation. It's righteous obedience. And that can only happen in relationship to him based on his revelation with hearts that revere him. In a day and age when we have more information and knowledge than we could ever dream possible, the world around us, we often are still so often deeply confused, directionless, immoral, and foolish. Why? If you can get wise from the world without God, why is there so much confusion and directionless and immorality and foolishness around us, in us? Because there's no fear of God. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The warning here is not to walk down the path of the fool. We'll see in the coming weeks just where that path ultimately leads. Let me plead with you today to turn from foolishness to turn from saying there is no God, to turn from saying I don't need God to know how to live in this circumstance, and instead turn to Christ, to our King, to our perfectly wise King, to His Word, to flee from foolishness of pride and sin and humble ourselves in awe before God and before His Son, Jesus. Either as someone who doesn't know Him or as someone who already does. Fear God to gain eternal wisdom for everyday life and in light of eternity. Look to Jesus as you do that, as we do that. The only perfectly wise and righteous man who ever lived, who came to die for wicked, foolish people like you and me so that we might gain eternal life, and have wisdom to live for him in everyday life. Go to him. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just before Derek comes up to lead us in the Lord's Supper, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we come before you as those who often do foolish things, think foolish things, and try to live in this world without you. Father, please forgive us. Please redirect our hearts and humility back towards you. Father, please help us to live by the wisdom you've shown us in your word, and help us to seek the wisdom we so desperately need in everyday life, so that we might live righteously and justly and fairly in this world. Father, may our hearts take great comfort and freedom in the wisdom that you've revealed and help us by your spirit to obey it in all of life. In Jesus' name, amen.